Well, hello, everyone. This is JB with Not By Works Ministries. Glad to have you along for the podcast tonight. It's Wednesday, February the 8th, and I am so excited to be joined by a group of believers there in Wisconsin. I'm not usually excited about Wisconsin, honestly, because that's where the Green Bay Packers are, but these folks seem pretty pretty solid, pretty spiritually mature and on fire for the Lord. And and uh, as you may recall, over the last few months, we've uh, put out the offer that any small group Bible study or church or organization that would like to do a Zoom meeting and talk about uh, things of, of the, the, the Word of God and current events and end times, Bible prophecy, anything they want, uh, we can schedule that. So they took me up on the offer and they've scheduled uh, this uh, Zoom uh, meeting tonight. And uh, I think there's about seven people in the room, and uh, in just a moment, I'll introduce uh, Jeff, who's going to kind of emcee the evening, and uh, we're going to uh, cover quite a quite a bit of ground with several questions. But uh, just want to remind you that uh, we've got a lot of new podcasts that have dropped over the last couple of weeks. It just sort of seems like the Lord started opening doors all at once in different places. And so I encourage you to go to notbyworks.org and check out uh, the podcast page there and kind of keep up with any of the ones that uh, seem of interest to you. Especially want to encourage you to listen to the one from earlier this week uh, on chat GPT and the Luciferian agenda. Just still to this day, a fascinating subject uh, to me. And I was so appreciative of my friend Shane coming on and uh, covering that topic with us. Uh, and then I want to mention we've got some more upcoming here in the next couple of days. Tomorrow we will be back on with our uh, world events update with uh, Randy, and that's a weekly event. And can't wait to talk to him about this Chinese balloon and some of these other things that have happened. Um, and then over the weekend, we will be on once again with Jan Markell and part two of that interview. And a couple of other interviews from uh, different radio stations will be posted, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday as well. So with that word of introduction, I'm excited to uh, turn it over now to Jeff and looking forward to a good evening of, of dialogue together and uh, kind of some Q&A as we talk about uh, how current events might be setting the stage for the return of the Lord. So, Jeff, thanks for thanks for having me as part of the night. Well, JB, we're excited for this. This is um this has been something that we followed you a little bit with some of your podcasts. And when you put out that offer to speak with us in a Zoom call, you know, I thought that what a great opportunity. So thank you for doing that. Uh, probably the first thing and in, in that um, interests our group is last year when the truckers in Canada got shut down immediately by the, the government of Canada and all of their, their funds were just cut off. It was shortly after that, I believe when president Biden then had his executive order, I think it was in March to start working on the digital currency. And, and then that kind of started going until they were working on that until I believe October, November, when I heard that they started a 12 week trial program with several of the larger banks to see how the digital currency could work. So that was my, so that that's kind of our first question is after we heard that there was the 12 week trial was going to happen. I never heard how did that, how did that play out and was it successful for them? Yeah. So it actually is still ongoing. And um, that executive order that you uh, talked about was March 9th, 2022, and uh, I actually talk about that in volume two of Spirit of the Antichrist, but it was 
basically a comprehensive order in which he required all of the different, uh, not all, but many of the different government agencies, the biggies, uh, to quickly, in, in a six-month period is all, uh, put together a plan for how they will integrate uh, digital currency. So um, I know the tests are still underway. We, we may be another 90 days before we, we really begin to know, uh, if ever, what the results are. But the, the, the bigger question here is, you know, how and when might the whole digital currency concept be rolled out globally? And, you know, I've spoken on this a couple of times. Uh, of course, we talk about it in the books. But if you go back to our uh, website and click on the videos page, uh, if you scroll back to last year, I think in December and then even earlier, maybe it was in October, I think, I did a couple of videos at speaking engagements that were specifically on the central bank digital currencies. And so I've been trying to kind of tracking with this for over a year now, specifically this these latest developments. And my take on it, uh, Jeff, is that, you know, I, I, I we know, of course, biblically that uh, the Antichrist, according to Revelation 13, uh, is going to hand off the control of the economy to the false prophet, and the false prophet is going to impose very austere restrictions on the world uh, in which they are tracked with everything they do, and they cannot buy or sell anything at all without government approval. So the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency uh, Movement, really fits like a hand in a glove with that biblical description. And as I've said elsewhere, what, what makes it a little different than some of the other times through the ages when people, um, you know, cry out, oh, this is going to be the mark of the beast, or this could be the mark of the beast, you know, things like the the UPC codes or the uh, the RFID tags and things like that, is in those cases, the, the upfront reason that that type of technology, which was new at the time, was being rolled out was for inventory tracking or to make it easier to check out at a cash register, that kind of thing. But what they're what the globalists are saying directly and unashamedly about CBDCs is that they need a way to be able to track every human being on Earth so that they can control them based on social credit scores, carbon credit scores, uh, and and many other things. And so, to me, uh, I'm not saying that the CBDCs are quote unquote the mark of the beast, but it certainly appears to be the type of technology that will be rolled out uh, and globally after the rapture. Now, how much of it will be rolled out before the rapture and how quickly? Well, we know in their own words, they're, they're trying to roll it out very quickly. But my, my gut tells me it won't be fully implemented globally until after the rapture. It may be 70 or 80% implemented. Um, there are some countries that already have it implemented. Um, but uh, but I don't I just have a hard time seeing how they can get that level of control uh, prior to some type of uh, cataclysmic event that really causes the Antichrist to rise to, to world prominence and sort of gets forces everybody into this one world thinking and concept. So I hope, uh, you know, I could be wrong. I hope I'm not. Um, how much of it will be rolled out in America? I, I think we know from talking even to local banks that they're pushing it. They're pushing it very hard. Um, but I just feel like there will be pockets um, 
just like there were with uh, things like the uh, the gene altering bioinjections that they forced on people with mandates after the pandemic. Uh, I think there will be pockets of resistance that, you know, they're not they're not ready to fight that battle just yet. So that's my take on it. Okay. Um, so I I've heard that they would like to start implementing something on a bigger scale with the digital currency, maybe by May hopefully not later than July. Do you see that happening yet this this early? Yeah, I mean, I think they are going to roll it out more and more, and it's going to start with the big Luciferian-controlled uh, banks, you know, the uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Be uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, some of those. Um, but again, it, it's not going to be the, so tightly controlled that uh, – you know, you will have no choice. At least that's my guess. Uh, that could happen if the Lord tarries is coming. We could all be going through that type of a world tyranny. Because remember, the the rapture only promises to rescue us before the seven year tribulation, First uh, Thessalonians one ten and five nine. Uh, but that doesn't mean we might not already be in a one world system prior to the rapture. So it's certainly possible that they could try to do that. But again, the the parallels with the uh, the vaccine mandates are, I think, pretty instructive because they made it very difficult for anyone who refused uh, the injection. Uh, many people lost their jobs. Many people couldn't be with their ailing parents when they died. Many people couldn't travel to see their relatives. Uh, uh, you know, you couldn't go into certain stores and shop. Um, so, but it was survivable. And, you know, a good segment of our culture did, you know, resist. And uh, and thankfully, that's the case. And so I think you'll see the same thing. They're going to keep pushing it. So the, the benchmark dates that you talk about and J.P. Morgan, my understanding, they've been testing since June of 2022. Uh, you may see them roll out later this year. Um, and you're going to see a media push behind it. You're going to see pressure. Uh, and, and a lot of carrots. You remember the old carrot and stick terminology that they used back with the vaccines? You're going to see a lot more carrot you know, this year, trying to entice people into coming on board with the conveniences. Um, but I made the comment at my December uh, conference or speaking engagement where I talked about this, that you know this to me is a line in the sand, kind of like the vaccine. And I think come what may, believers need to steal themselves and not sign on to the digital ID. Because remember, the, the CBDC is all tied in together with the digital ID. So it's way beyond just a, a means of transactions and, and, and means of exchange. It's a full-scale tracking mechanism that's going to be connected to your you know, medical files, to your traveling, to all kinds of things. So uh, when you know whatever the sacrifice that it might take, if they, if we do get to the point in America where they're really pressuring everybody to sign on to this digital ID, I, I really, I encourage people to resist it, whatever the cost. So, are you thinking it'll be sort of like with the vaccinations, where they're gonna, they, they aren't gonna tie you down here and and jab you in the arm, but they're gonna really, so we don't necessarily have to sign up, probably but they will make it very difficult for us if we don't. 
Exactly. That's exactly my feeling. Now, again, I don't have the mind of the Lord, obviously, other than what he's revealed to us in his word. But uh, if the Lord tarries is coming, I think we're going to be getting closer and closer, especially if we get into the mid-20s and late-2020s, uh, where they might try to make it mandatory. And it may even go so far as them hunting people down and and and, and causing them to be uh, persecuted uh, or arrested or whatever if they don't do it. But I, I just think we're pretty far off from that. They're going to get the low-hanging fruit first through the carrot, and they're going to get you know a lot of people to do it. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be something where they, they force us, but it might be the kind of thing that you know people lose their jobs because their employer says, you know what, we're signing on to this new system, and it's the only way we can pay you. So if you want to get paid, you got to sign up for an ID card. And so you lose your job. Or if you want to buy, shop at certain grocery stores or places, you might have to have it. So you might instead have to grow your own food. I, I could see that happening in the next uh, couple of years, possibly. Um, but I just definitely there's a big push for it. But these things are, are not easy to roll out uh, globally in every corner of the earth there's they're, 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 and they, they don't really want they, they don't need that they want it ultimately and they're going to get it ultimately when the antichrist takes the helm for a short period of time but really what they want is the mass uh population centers um they're not too concerned about the the family with four kids that you know kind of lives on a compound in the rocky mountains and is minding their own business they'll you know they may eventually get to the point where they start tracking people down, but they're going to go for the low-hanging fruit. Okay, and will they find that, will will that make it, will it be easier for that to be implemented if we have a, if America has like a financial collapse? Absolutely, yeah, that that's, there's going to be a trigger event that it becomes the you know, the the urgency, the unfreezing event that causes them to roll this out, just like the pandemic. See, the pandemic wasn't about the pandemic. The pandemic was about the vaccine all along. And the vaccine wasn't about the pandemic. The vaccine was about digital control all along. So, and I, I get into that in volume one, chapter nine, I think it is, of Spirit of the Antichrist, where I've got, you know, tons of smoking gun evidence that this was pre-planned and rolled out, you know, 22 years later. Uh, so, it's part of the Hegelian dialectic where they want control. Remember, it goes back to Psalm 2. Satan wants to break the cords of God's control and, and so forth, that he, he, he wants control of everything. And so uh, how do they get that? Well, they can certainly do it by force and bloodshed, and, and they'll, that'll be part of it too at some point. But initially, it's much easier to bring people along if people come crying to you for it. So they create a problem that causes people to have an anticipated reaction for which their solution that they've had all along fits perfectly. So people, you know, I do think there will be some type of uh, economic crisis. And, and remember, the thing about that is, contrary to what a lot of experts, and frankly, people that know more about economics than I'll ever know, but, but they're not awake to the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy, and they don't have a biblical worldview— what a lot of them are saying is that, you know, the economy is is struggling and eventually it's going to organically just explode. Well, nothing's organic anymore. So the economy in America has been dead for decades. 
certainly since 1980, when in, in just a one year time, we went from being the, the world's largest creditor nation to being the world's largest debtor nation in one year time. And so everything is, is fake. It's all propped up. And the Luciferians that are really pulling the strings and control things, when they're ready, all they got to do is push a button and then it, it'll collapse. So it's not like, you know, it's an organic thing and, and it, it's they already control it. And when they're ready, they'll collapse it. And it sure seems to me like that's probably the leading candidate for what they plan to do to, to try to urge people to adopt a, a one world currency. So when we when we have when they're ready for our for America to be for them to make their next step, then they will they will probably take us out financially. Yeah, it seems to me it's going to be a multi pronged thing. Uh, you know, I've talked about on our uh, a lot of our preparedness uh, things that we've done, different scenarios, um, and. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think it's going to be a multi-pronged thing. So uh, what comes first? It's hard to say. It could be collapsing the economy. It could be some type of natural disaster that they either create through their geoengineering or is, you know, natural. It could be uh, uh, militaristic where you have some attack from Russia or China uh, that's what a lot of people think is going to happen, including a lot of geopolitical experts that are awake. Um, uh, but it's probably going to it could be an EMP. It could be a, another pandemic of some kind, another virus rolling out, whether real or uh, uh, bio, you know, some kind of bioweapon that they engineer in a lab. Um, but what's more than likely going to happen when they get ready? And again, we we know what their timetable is. They've been telegraphing it. OK, so. That's what I get into in the chapter called the Luciferian timetable in chapter two. And so doesn't mean they're going to succeed, but clearly they're telling us this is this is what we want to happen. This is our game plan. And so when they get ready to, you know, pull the trigger on their final sort of two minute warning, if you will, I, I think we're going to see a couple of two or three things happen at once. There could be a uh, some kind of an attack. Uh, terrorist attack, for example, or another enemy nation attack, coupled with uh, the uh, economic collapse, collapse, which they claim in the mainstream narrative is the result of this attack. You know, oh, look what happened. You know, kind of like after 9-11, you had, you know, the stock market completely crash and they had to shut down Wall Street for a day. Um, so or maybe more. I can't remember exactly. But so I think that but in their from their perspective, it's going to all be planned and it's going to be kind of a one two punch. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the idea that the the economic collapse could be their trigger for trying to to really roll out the digital currency is very plausible. Will, will they be working on other countries around the world with the, the same plans and same timeframes, or is this just mostly directed at America right now? Well, they're already rolling it out in countries around the world and they don't perceive any other country as being much of a problem to roll this out, frankly. Um, and, and, and so that most other countries are probably already well within their control. Um, the, 
so they they are trying to roll it out there. And like I said, in some countries, they already have it. You know, there are some places like in India, you have the Adhar system, which is pretty much required. It's not mandated under penalty of law, but it sort of de facto is because in India, you have to have the system, the digital system to pay your taxes. And of course, if you don't pay your taxes, you get thrown in jail. So it's it's not like they're kind of like you you mentioned with the vaccine. They're not rounding people up, tying them down and sticking a needle in their arms. Uh, which, by the way, they did that in America with the vaccine in a lot of nursing homes. We saw coverage of that footage of that secret footage that people made with their cell phones where they were taking these unsuspecting residents of nursing homes and against their will, sticking a needle in their arm. But but by and large, of course, that did not happen. So there's there are more than one ways. There's more than one way to get people on board. But what what's different about America is all along their plan, as I've said often, it requires the destruction of America. In fact, uh, last night at Prophecy Night, I quoted uh, Klaus Schwab, something he said in his book, The Great Narrative, which came out last year, where he comes right out and says, yeah, this is you know, might, what we might need to do to accelerate the demise of America. So they know that our country is the one thing standing in the way of their full spectrum planetary control. And so at some point, we're going to see America collapse. And that also comports with biblical prophecy because we don't see any geographic region in Scripture that takes a major role that seems to correspond uh, to America. Now, if the rapture were to happen like tonight uh, and America was still, you know, functioning, then uh, it's my belief that the, that New York City, which currently is kind of the the financial capital of the world, would probably be one of the outposts that the future Antichrist uses. I think Rome would be one for the religious outpost. Babylon would be one for the political outposts and, and possibly New York City. So I'm not saying that they're not components of this country that might play a role after the rapture like they do now. I mean, clearly the United States is one of the leading beachheads for the Luciferian conspiracy. But we don't see a on a map anything in scripture that corresponds to this far west. So uh, so the concept of, you know, the destruction of America is not only something that is strategic from their point of view, because we have so many freedom-loving, Bible-believing, gun-carrying, conservative people that aren't going to stand for it, uh, but also it seems to fit the biblical narrative. So when, um, so if they have, and I want to go back to kind of like America's debt again, and some of this I, I heard, I believe it was last week when you're talking with your friend Randy, when he was talking about maybe 20, there's like, people don't want, countries do not want to buy America's debt anymore because they don't believe in it. And there's maybe 23 countries that are selling off debt that they must hold from from america how does that work yeah so uh we don't know we have no way of knowing for sure you know who's buying the u.s debt that's something that the treasury kind of doesn't disclose at least not honestly um kind of like you know fort knox and some of those things we don't really know where the gold is um but um most of the time the U.S. debt is sold back to the Treasury or 
anyone who's willing to buy it. And historically, it's not been a huge problem. But now, thanks to you know the World Economic Forum and uh, several other, you know, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and and really, it's 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 you know gone taken a steep incline and in since COVID since 2020. Uh, there is a prevailing attitude globally that America is on its deathbed economically. And so people are fleeing that. Um, and so uh, to me, I see that as a sort of sign of the times that indeed is leading up to the collapse of, of our economy. They, they, you know, they, they can't really just do it out of nowhere. I mean, they can, but again, it makes it easier to deceive people if you weave together a plausible story that, oh, you know, suddenly we're we're no longer uh, a good credit and people are abandoning us. Um, now, again, my view is this has been the case for decades, but they seem to be weaving a narrative together. And again, not to harp on Klaus Schwab, but in, in, in his book from last year, uh, he talks about, and Yuval Noah Harari's also talked about this, openly about how the way you get people to come along is by creating deceptive narratives. I mean, those are his terms. He, he believes in weaving false stories together that are believable, that will convince people this is what they need to do. So I think that's what they're doing with, with you know, some of these other nations. But, you know, I'm not an expert on the Treasury, but, you know, from what I can tell, it just seems like a lot of data points in the news that indicate People are very nervous about, you know, our uh, fiscal condition as a, as a nation. And are there other countries that I think maybe Randy also talked about? I forget what he called them, but that want to start their own currency or have a gold standard. And yeah, how does that work? And what yeah, are they? No, no doubt. Yeah, they're already doing it. They've already agreed to trade with it. It's called the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and uh, so I think it might be some of the South American countries. Um, uh, but yeah, it's the BRICS is what they're called. You'll see, if you Google it, you'll see it all over the news. But they, they are kind of a power center, a nucleus of uh, countries that, you know, they don't need, they don't need America, frankly. And so uh, there, again, a lot of what Randy and I talk about are just uh, interesting observations about things that are in the news or things that are coming from sources that are not necessarily directly in the news. But the, where it gets into difficulty is the interpretation of those things. And, you know, it's hard to say whether you know, uh, whether they're, uh, these countries are conspiring to, to make it so that the U.S. dollar is no longer the world reserve currency and those types of things. It sure looks like it, but, you know, in terms of the details and the timing of it, that's a little bit speculative, but we just, we just like people to be aware uh, and know, hey, what's happening? Because, you know, we're not date setters, but the fact is these things are going to happen and, and, better to be warned about it ahead of time than be caught off guard. And are they looking, if I have this right, by the end of February, Russia is looking to take payment for gas only in gold? That's what, I don't remember if it was uh, uh, Medvedev or Putin, but that's what somebody over there said. Uh, but again, sometimes these world leaders will throw out trial balloons like that 
not necessarily intending for it to happen, but sometimes it happens. But but yeah, there there's a lot of chatter out there about you know different means of exchange between some of these countries that are you know aligning. And you know, as I've talked about previously, I think it was last week at Prophecy Night, a lot of the nations that are in the news on these types of topics are the ones that are listed there in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you know, uh, Russia, uh, Syria, uh, Iran, uh, and of course, China, the, in, from Daniel, the, t- the nation to the east. So, uh, yeah, I think that's possible. Okay. Um, kind of making a detour from the financial part, I think last week when Randy was talking about the coronavirus did i hear him right that china has lost 300 to 500 million people potentially yes you did now we have no way to verify that but here's here's where that comes from first of all forbes magazine which is certainly not a bastion of of truth but it's a mainstream uh outlet they have reported that China's uh, deaths from COVID are underreported by 17,000%. <laughs> so that's a pretty huge number. I mean, that's orders of magnitude. Um, but, you know, China's elderly population uh, mostly were non-vaccinated. Um, their vaccine was thought largely to be worthless. Uh, all other vaccines, not just the COVID one. And And by the way, well, we'll save that discussion for another time. But yeah, the, there's there's a lot of data out there about the nature of the COVID vaccines uh, and their production and lot numbers and all of that. But um, also China's healthcare is very, very poor. Um, so, you know, we, we don't really know. There's, there's sources out there that are citing 300 million plus deaths uh, and they're coming from within China. So you would think on the one hand that they would have better data. They wouldn't they they should know. But because of that same reason that they're coming from within China, we don't really have any way to, to verify them. What was that? Why is China lying on one of the deaths? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> would um would those deaths be from the vaccination or is there a new strand of coronavirus that that came around that killed all of those people or is it just because they're they're older and in poorer health well i think it's all of the above um it's 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 kind of funny uh or hypocritical that in the early days of the vaccine you know they were counting deaths and you know you had all the mainstream media putting tickers on their screen and counting deaths and you know, a guy could get hit by a you know car on his motorcycle and fatality, and they called it a COVID death. And when people started pointing out, including thousands of doctors who eventually blew the whistle on all this, uh, that, hey, that, you know, that was a comorbidity or that, you know, there's a difference between dying with COVID because they would test people post-mortem, they would have COVID. There's a difference between dying with COVID and dying of COVID. They, they The government would say, no, 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 these people died of COVID. Well, now that everybody's dying from taking the jab, or many people are, thousands upon thousands are, 
the government is saying, no, no, it's not the jab, it's comorbidities. <laughs> you know, they it's just coincidence that they happen to, you know, have taken the vaccine and yet, you know, at 17 years old or getting myocarditis and dying, it's it's some genetic thing. So, you know, they will lie through their teeth to say whatever they want. Um, the, the, the virus, there's no question that it was engineered as a bioweapon. Okay, this wasn't some organic thing that came from a dead fish on the street. This was a bioweapon. In fact, the, the really strange thing is back in late uh, 2019, before COVID was even in the public consciousness, um, I was preparing to speak at a conference in Tulsa in March. And I was I was talking about the government's depopulation uh, plan and that or not the governments per se, but the rogue elements within the government that are part of the Luciferian conspiracy. And I came upon a uh, U.S. Uh, you know uh, chemical uh, engineer who was going on the record. Uh, he was from that uh, place in North Carolina, the lab that there was a lab in China that had created this bioweapon that had leaked out. And it was, you know, he said, keep your eye on it. But he said, I, I guarantee you it's a bioweapon. Well, I had that prepared and in my presentation and notes, just as a passing evidence of a, a broader point I was making. Well, fast forward a couple months, well, before the conference was held, by that time, COVID had hit America. Then you had the, uh, the famous, uh, declaration of emergency on friday the 13th of april in 2020 and the conference got canceled um but by then it was you know it was all about covid and that that's what this guy was talking about so my point is um could they have released multiple strands and strains of these weapons weaponized viruses absolutely and part of the agenda, it's always multifaceted. It's never just one targeted thing. They try to accomplish multiple things with the same event. But part of it was uh, depopulation. And, you know, you've all know Harari has talked about that blatantly. I just mentioned it last night that, you know, he's out there talking about how, uh, you know, a huge percentage of people are useless now. We can do everything they're doing with computers and with AI. We don't need them. We need to get rid of them. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't, let me put it this way. It wouldn't surprise me if the numbers that some people are reporting coming out of China are accurate, but China is such a closed country that, you know, you, you, you never, you'll, they'll never admit the true numbers and it's very difficult to get true data digitally through the internet or any other way. So who, who knows? Jumping to another topic, what is the, um, and can you explain like the, the geoengineering with the weather and what that is all about? Yeah, so that's a just a really fascinating subject to me that I've been uh, studying for a long time. And I, I don't know how much, uh, have you guys, uh, any, any of you or some of you or all of you read my uh, Spirit of the Antichrist books or... <coughs> I do not believe so. Okay. So I highly recommend you you pick those up because it's a comprehensive two-volume treatment of, of really tying all things uh, together. Uh, and we have a chapter on geoengineering in volume one that, you know, really documents this. But um, 
you know, I was, I was talking about this 15 years ago. In fact, I got kind of censored at one conference because the conference coordinator didn't think it was true, but, uh, but it's, it's most certainly true. And it's now 15 years later, it's on record. The government has all kinds of congressional hearings and meetings and contracts with different, uh, uh, you know, or, uh, companies to help spray stuff in the air, but it's, it goes way back even before, you know, modern technology, they use geoengineering to control the weather during the Vietnam War uh, and, you know, created, you know, rainmaking techniques and all that. But ostensibly, what what is now the mainstream narrative that you hear about on the news? In fact, I talk about how in, in the book, I give a whole list. I think it's a couple of pages long of articles from Scientific America magazine that are they have a whole section on geoengineering and all these articles just coming right out talking about where they're doing it what parts of the world how often they're doing it at any given time there's 3,000 planes across the uh, world in the sky spraying uh, nanoparticulates and things like barium strontium aluminum so forth um, but the stated reason is of course global warming that the, the world's going to collapse the earth's going to be destroyed because of you know because you and i use too much you know deodorant or something like that or drive our cars too much and so we've got to do something to block the, uh, the the sun's rays. And so that's the stated reason. And honestly, there are many scientists out there that have bought into the lie and they earnestly believe that they're trying, they're trying desperately to keep the, the, the world from collapsing. But all of that is a red herring. It's all part of the Hegelian dialectic. It's what the UN, the World Economic Forum, um, all these agencies have been doing since 1992 with the Rio conference. And then again uh, in 2015 with UN agenda 2030 and UN, the UN and world economic forum essentially are kind of two sides of the same coin on that agenda 2030. But uh, in reality, it's a lot more sinister than that. And the people at the top know that it's, it's killing plants, it's killing animals, it's killing off, you know, honeybees, it's killing our trees uh, it's uh, polluting our water systems. It is very, very much a part of the depopulation effort. And it's everywhere. I noticed uh, Monday I was out, I had to drive to Denver, and it was the most massive geoengineering I had seen in a while. There's always some in certain parts. Uh, and you can see it because you see these these jets flying and they leave this powdered uh you know, the trail behind them, it doesn't disappear. It just dissipates and covers the whole sky and makes it cloudy. And um, so we've got, you know, video evidence of, of uh, them attached retrofitting commercial jets with these spray nozzles. We've got commercial airline pilots uh, talking about it, but that goes back 10 years in the last five or six years. They don't even do that anymore because they've got government paid contracted companies there whose sole existence is to spray it. So it's just done openly, you know, and they they say, yeah, of course, we're spraying it because we're trying to save you from global warming or from climate change. And so in the book, I list several websites you can go to there where the company says, yeah, we contract with the government. Here's how we do. Here's how we spray these aerosols. Here's the planes that we use. And th this is how much they're paying us. And so geoengineering is just a broad term that describes uh some of the techniques like chemical ice nucleation, solar radiation management, and, and some of those other scientific means that, again, ostensibly they're using to try to, you know, cover the atmosphere with some protective sh uh, 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 shield 
to keep it from keep the world from falling apart. So are they um so ultimately they they tell us it's to save the planet, but it's really killing animals and vegetation so that it can depopulate the world, the, the people in the world. Yeah, that's that's the big part of it. Now, again, I, I can't emphasize enough how they are always multiple steps ahead of us and they have multiple they're 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 killing multiple birds with one stone, so to speak. So another part of it is they are creating uh, contaminants in the atmosphere intentionally so that only certain hybrid seeds will be able to receive the nourishment they need from the rain. And so that's why you have groups like Monsanto that for decades have been out there forcing every major farming uh, organization and even little farmers to purchase their seeds because the traditional non-hybrid seeds are not able to produce well with these with these chemical rains that are now falling. Uh, and by the way, we've this isn't just you know stuff that's well documented and well researched. And, and again, I can't emphasize enough that it's now out in the open it's kind of like the ufo thing for 70 years they said no no we're not studying ufos and anybody who thinks we are is just a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist and then suddenly in 2017 december 16th we find out uh oh yeah no we've been studying them for 70 years we've got whole warehouses full of documentation going back to 1947 and yes it's a real threat yes it's a real problem i have a whole chapter on ufos and uap uh, and phenomena chapters 9 and 10 actually in volume 2 it's my belief and many biblical conservative Christians believe that the whole UFO phenomena is dimensional and demonic, not obviously it's not little green men from Mars. But the point is they love to lie, 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 lie. And then eventually they come right out and admit it and they claim, yeah, we've been doing it all along. What's the problem? So that's what they did with geoengineering. So I can't emphasize enough. This is not a fact in dispute. This is easily documented. And I give all the references uh, in the book. And you can just go in right now and Google geoengineering uh, on a search engine. And then uh, you can see all the, you know, all the uh, different uh, laws that have been passed about it. And the UN talks about it all the time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a reality, but I, I think it's not just about one thing, but it's never about what it's about. So it's not about saving the world from rising temperatures it's about something much more nefarious. Could this geoengineering stuff, could that affect the, the world, the earth for the last, like the last days where things such as the massive earthquakes that just happened in Syria and in Turkey, that type of where the, the Bible tells us we're going to have the birth pangs in the end and, and the earth will be groaning. Could this be part of why that happens? I think it certainly can. Um, we know the earth is going to burn up at the end of the millennium and God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Um, the earth, is, of course, is under the curse of sin, like all of creation. The fall of man did not just affect mankind, it affected everything. That's the reason we have thorns on rose bushes and poison ivy and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. So uh, so clearly, the closer we get to the end times, uh, the more we're going to see this type of geological upheaval. And uh, in my series on Tuesday nights, one of the topics we're going to get to is how the stage is being set 
uh, geologically. Right now we're talking about prophetically, but we're going to eventually get into some geological stuff. So I think it's certainly possible. We we know for a fact, and again, I cover this in, in the book, the first volume, uh, we know for a fact that all kinds of scientists and firemen and first responders and others are on record saying that these high concentrations of nano um, particles of aluminum, barium, strontium are highly flammable and volatile. So all of those fires that we've seen in recent years in California and Colorado and places like that, the, the, you know, there are experts on record saying, yeah, of course it's worse now because all this rain that's falling and the stuff that's falling out of the sky that they're spraying creates this tinderbox. And so what normally, what, what in the past would be a you know, a forest fire, which by the way is natural. That's just part of the natural cycle. Forest fires are needed to thin out stuff and so forth. But the reason they are becoming so devastating is because of these chemicals. So could it be that God uses that someday as part of um, the devastation? I, I don't see it necessarily as being the the fulfillment of you know second peter three and the whole concept of burning up the world at the end of the age because god's going to do that supernaturally he's just going to you know say a word and it's done but i do think it could play a role in some of the devastation that we see during the seven-year tribulation i think that could definitely uh, be possible that kind of ends my my top half of the questions kind of leading towards the you know, the, the end time stuff, unless you guys have any questions. Otherwise, then I have some, just a couple other, you know, questions that I wonder about. Yeah. And as, before we move to that, I just want to mention, I think I heard someone in the background uh, talking about the books. Uh, uh, if you go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, you can get a, uh, sneak peek at the entire table of contents for both volumes, and you can read the full preface for both volumes. So you'll get an idea of what topics that we cover, and you'll see kind of the subheadings in each chapter, like the chapter on geoengineering, you can see some of the subheadings. But uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's move on to, to the next uh, section. Does anybody or do you have any thoughts on where the, the actual Garden of Eden was located? Yeah, you know, that's a, a fun question that Bible students have been uh, talking about and researchers have been writing about for, you know, hundreds of years. Uh, the The reality is, because of the flood, we'll never know where the Garden of Eden is. So the, the, flood, the global flood in Noah's day completely changed the entire landscape of, of the earth. And so could it be over there in the Fertile Crescent in that area between the Tigris and Euphrates River and all of that? Sure. Uh, that seems like a logical candidate, but there, that area is covered by as much as one to two miles. If you follow John Morris's teaching on that, uh, he wrote the book, uh, The Genesis Flood. Uh, I think that was him. Uh, anyway, uh, by one to two miles of sediment and rock, it's kind of like the Grand Canyon. You know, the Grand Canyon formed in about three days because of the global flood as the floodwaters receded. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we can, we'll, we'll ever be able to find the spot. Um, um, but it is, it is kind of a fascinating thing to think about. Then here's a question that uh, I'm hoping I can ask this correctly. 
when Christ died on the cross, he died for all sins of all time. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. The, the, the supreme event of human history is God's atoning work through Christ at Calvary. And that happened in the eternal now from God's perspective, because, you know, God is outside of time, space, and matter. He's eternal. In fact, he created time, space, and matter. The Bible says in the beginning time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth matter. The very first verse alludes to that. And, and plus Paul talks about in the new Testament before time began. So, uh, when Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all sins of all mankind of all time. So, for example, Abraham in the Old Testament, which was 2,000 years before Christ died on the cross, when he believed God and was declared righteous, it was on the basis of Christ's death, even though from a human perspective that had not happened yet. Uh, so, yes, Christ died for the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. So then the only way somebody will end up going to eternal damnation is because of, is it the one sin of rejecting Christ? Is that the only sin? Well, so it's kind of like, uh, I'm looking up a verse here. Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, did, did he die from the gunshot wound or did he die because his heart stopped beating? Well, they're kind of related, right? I mean, um, we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus said in John 8, 24, therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So I have a book uh, that came out a few years ago called The Top 10 Reasons. What is it called? The, the, the Top 10 Reasons Some People Will Go to Hell and the One Reason No One Ever Has to. And in the introduction to that book, I explained that theologically, the, the one reason and only reason that anybody goes to hell is because of sin. Their sins were not, you know, they didn't accept the payment for the penalty of sin on, that was made for them on, by Christ. So, uh, so that's the ultimate reason. But there are many reasons that people might reject Christ, the, the, you know, the, whatever their life journey is that lead them away from the simple childlike faith of trusting Christ. So it's 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 really it's not a question of do I go to hell because of sins plural this thing that I did and that thing that I did or do I go to uh, hell because of my sin um, because one flows from the other you know we don't become sinners the first time we sin you sin because that's what sinners do from the moment of conception David tells us uh, in I think it's Psalm fifty one he was a sinner. In sin, my mother conceived me. In other words, from the moment con of conception, he's a sinner. It's in the blood, which is why, by the way, we need, you know, a we needed a virgin birth because Christ is fully human, but he's fully God. Had he been conceived through normal means with Mary and Joseph, his blood would have been tainted too. But Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit, and therefore the the sin was not passed down through the blood to him, and he was the perfect God man, perfectly sinless yet perfectly human. But anyway, he's the only one that could pay the penalty for sin because the rest of us are tainted and have our own sins to pay for. So he had room on his shoulders to take the sin for the whole world, and, and which he did, of course. And then he offers freely to all the gift of eternal life. It's not forced upon you. No one is forced to believe the gospel. It's just like we weren't forced to sin in the garden. God didn't make Adam and Eve bite 
a big bite out of the apple, so to speak. Um, but uh, he made us in his image, which means we have free will and we chose to sin and we can choose to receive the payment for sin on our behalf or reject it. So, you know, I, 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 I don't, you know, ultimately it's the sin of unbelief. Yes, that's true. John 8, 24, as I read, but um, you know, the, the the one remedy for that is faith more than 160 times in the new testament alone the bible conditions eternal life upon faith alone in christ alone um and the one reason anybody goes to hell is 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 unbelief question yes so mary was not her blood was not clean correct so jesus had none of her blood in him well it's it's you know, we're probably getting a, a bit granular there. My point is the seed that created the Messiah was not a sinful seed. And so that's why you go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, and God, when he's talking to the serpent, says, her seed, capital S in the New King James, will uh, crush your head. Well, the woman doesn't have a seed. I mean, that's very bizarre language in the Hebrew text, and anybody reading that would have it would have jumped off the page at them back in Moses' day because you don't speak of her seed, you speak of his seed, and so that's a veiled reference to the virgin birth. So all I'm saying is that the, the sinful condition of mankind, according to David, comes into being at the moment the egg meets the sperm, and uh, and when that happens. The sin is a reality. And, you know, you're born dead in your trespasses and sins. So uh, that to me is is how God protected that, you know, the, the Christ child from being tainted by sin. Did, um, before the Islamic religion was started, did the Arabs and the Jews get along or did well, they live together? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question because really for, you know, the, Islam was started in the 600s. I forget the exact date. Um, it was a man-made religion, of course. Um, but for that previous 500 years from 70 AD on, I mean, there really was no Israel. And so... Um, you know, the Jews were scattered. And so it's not like we could easily uh, identify an antagonism between uh, nations. And even if you say, well, what about people groups? Because obviously the Jews existed. They've, they've never ceased to exist. They were just scattered abroad and didn't have a homeland until 1948. Uh, it, it, it's still a tough question uh, to answer, I, I think the real animosity against Israel certainly goes, you know, predates Islam by millennia. You know, Satan hates Israel because Israel is God's chosen nation. And so uh, when God called Abraham in Genesis 12 and promised him unconditionally that someday all the world would be blessed through his seed, and the ultimate seed of Abraham, the New Testament tells us, is Jesus. Uh, Satan then set his sights on Jews, and he's hated them ever since. And that's why we have, you know, the story of Egypt and Assyria, <laughs> Babylon and Greece and uh, Persia and, you know, Rome and so forth. So uh, my guess would be 
you know, there's not, there's not a lot of historical data um, on that. It was an interesting question so much so that it actually kind of got me thinking Um, secular sociologists and historians that are largely anti-Semitic, by the way, you know, they, they will try to, you know, have their perspective on things uh, at least uh, from my limited uh, checking. Um, But the reality is, you know, Islam, all it did was became an institutional enemy of Israel, like they have, there have been so many through the millennia. Um, But the Jews, you know, really had no friends throughout the, you know, early ancient times and throughout the Middle Ages and, you know, to this day. Okay. Moving to um, the flood of Noah, because this is one this is one of those things that just it kind of fascinates me. From the flood of Noah when that ended, to when Nimrod became the first world dictator, I can't imagine that 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 could be more than a couple hundred years. And so, for the um, I'm have to believe that they they remembered they knew about the flood that and that they would think that hey we're going to rebel against god even though we know he just wiped out the whole world we're going to do this anyways so i i I wonder about that and were all of the people living in that that area of babylon at that point and when god's god confuse their language and spread them throughout the world then i wonder how long did it take for people to move all the way around the world like into south south america and yeah so let's let's uh put some time markers on this and interestingly enough i i've already kind of prepared some stuff that we're going to get to in my tuesday night series i actually had it ready to go last night but we we just didn't get to it but we're going to talk about how you know the stage is being set uh, prophetically in terms of uh, setting the stage for the one world government. And that makes the whole concept of uh, the timeline of human history and, and how God it started out as a globalist world. It was a one, I mean, Adam and Eve were under a one world government and God was the leader. And it wasn't until after the flood that you got into nationalism. And that's the era that we're living in still to this day but the Bible is going to come full circle again, back to a globalist world, first under the regime of the Antichrist and ultimately under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself. But uh, if you look at a timeline of human history, you know, uh, we date creation based on today's dating terminology at 4004 BC. So again, I'm a staunch believer in in young earth based on what God's word says. Um, you know, we, everybody believed in young earth until that uh, eugenicist, uh, racist Darwin came along and convinced everybody that the earth was billions of years old and we all evolved from a wet rock. But uh, for, you know, 1800 years, that wasn't the case. And that doesn't really matter anyway. What matters is what does God's word say? So 4004 BC was creation. Yeah, the Genesis 6 encounter with the demons that left their proper domain in 2468. And that's what led to the flood. So we're talking some, you know, 1600 years later. So the, the earth was only, you know, s- s- seven, actually it was about 20, the, the, the global flood was 2348 BC. Um, so we're talking, 
17 less than 1700 years after creation that god destroyed the earth um so um then you have as you alluded to the rise of uh nimrod and the tower of babel so that was you know 2242 bc so roughly a hundred years after the flood you know the world is already rebelling again and by the way, the whole point of the Tower of Babel, uh, and I can read you an interesting quote here that's just fascinating to me, but the whole point of it was because they they wanted to build this tower so that God, if God chose to destroy them again with a flood, they would be able to rise above it. That was the whole point. Um, so um, Nimrod, we read about him in Genesis 10, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. That's Genesis 10. Then you get to uh, Genesis 11, which is the Tower of Babel, which is where Babylon is. Um, and, you know, Nimrod, by the way, was the grandson of Ham, who, who Ham was the son of, uh, uh, he was, Nimrod was the son of Cush, who was Ham's son. So he was Ham's grandson. But Josephus, everybody knows who Josephus is. He was first century contemporary with Christ, wrote a ton of history, uh, it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not part of the Bible, but it's very instructive. And um, he said, quote, he, Nimrod, persuaded them to attribute their prosperity not to God, but to their own valor, and little by little transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God the respect of God, was by making them continuously dependent upon his power. He threatened to have his revenge on God if he wished to inundate the earth again, for he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. So, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was the whole point of the Tower of Babel. As far as how long it took then uh, after the flood, for you know the world population uh, to grow, um, you know it's it's hard to say with any degree of certainty because so many of the archaeologists today, when they find remains and civilizations and 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 even bones, you know they've bought into the lie of Darwinism, and so they tend to date everything millions of years old, you know. Um, but that's been very sufficiently debunked, even by unbelieving scientists. And we're we do a lot of work with creation science at Not by Works Ministries. We used to lead Not by Works. Uh, I mean, sorry, we used to lead Grand Canyon tours sponsored by Not by Works with a dear friend of mine, Russ Miller, who's one of the premier creation scientists of our day. We've had the Joe uh, Martin in at different events that we've done. And so, to me, it, if you don't believe the first eleven chapters of the Bible. Why in the world would you believe the last part of the Bible or, or even the gospel or anything in between? Uh, it's really fundamental. But you know, they've done tests where they'll 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 do carbon 14 dating on a you know a, a wing bone from Kentucky fried chicken and it comes back it's millions of years old. So um, you know, we believe the Bible word for word and cover to cover. Um, you know, the reason I say it's hard to say is because you know they they'll talk about the different civilizations and when they arrived at certain continents and so forth um but you know they're biased against the bible and so they hold to an old earth perspective um but uh i don't think it took very long uh and we have you know evidence in every continent on earth of you know people going back to ancient times
how is it? Um, so I'm starting to wind down just a couple questions left. How do the, the demons and the angels um, interact? Are they constantly at battle against one of them, one another? Or is it kind of like, do, do each, does each person have a guardian angel and does, um, or is it just believers that have a guardian angel? Well, uh, so absolutely, yes, there is a cosmic struggle in the heavenlies between God's angels and Satan's angels. Um, uh, the first few chapters of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, I kind of give an overview of biblical angelology and demonology. Um, so, you know, Ephesians 6 tells us, for example, that our, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, yes, there is absolutely a cosmic battle raging right now. And, and part of the premise of my two-volume series is to show that that's heating up. When things are heating up on earth, it always means they're heating up in the heavenlies. Uh, because let's not forget that ultimately the battle started in heaven when Satan rebelled against God, led a coup, tried to overtake uh, God, and got kicked out of heaven. And then the earth became his playground and his target. And so everything that we see on earth happening with these Luciferians and the global elites is a part of Satan's grand conspiracy that David talked about in Psalm 2. And that goes all the way back, you know, to the garden. So, uh, so absolutely, that that's an emphatic yes that there's you know these battles raging uh, in the heavenlies. As far as guardian angels, you know, the Bible does say that good angels are ministering spirits. Uh, the Bible tells us that you should be careful to entertain a stranger because you might be entertaining an angel and not know it. So we absolutely believe the Bible teaches that both angels and demons uh, can take on human form. And um, then you got the whole concept of the Nephilim, which kind of brings us full circle back to what we were just talking about with uh, the uh, Genesis 6 and the flood and all of that, which, by the way, you specifically mentioned South America. I'm not sure why that was, uh, you know, of interest, but we do know that they have found remains uh, for, of Nephilim uh, giants. Nephilim is just the word giant. Um uh, in, with elongated skulls, 10 feet tall, 12 feet tall, skeletons, even recently. Uh, L.A. Marzulli and even Mondo Gonzalez over there at, uh, he's an archaeologist, but he's now at Prophecy Watchers. Um, you know, they've documented this. Uh, there's quite a conspiracy going on with the Smithsonian because the Smithsonian has a lot of these skulls and these skeletons and they're not, you know, being truthful about it. But anyway, so that tells us that certainly uh, way back then, post-flood, because we know the Nephilim existed after the flood. Genesis 6, 4 tells us they were on the earth before and after that they were there. So, uh, but of course the Nephilim, you know, have been around you know, all, all the way through. That's, it was the Nephilim that the spies on the banks of the Jordan that were sent out into the Canaan to spy out the land saw and came back and said, oh, we're like grasshoppers in their, in their eyes, you know? So, uh, so anyway, just an interesting point about South America there. Um, but as far as guardian angels, um, you know, I don't know that we can cite chapter and verse that says every believer has a guardian angel. Uh, I don't think that's the case uh, necessarily. God sends angels to minister to us 
as needed when needed. Uh, the concept of guardian angel is largely a kind of a Roman Catholic concept. Uh, certainly could could be true. I mean, maybe God does assign a lifetime for a lifetime an angel, but uh, the the bigger principle theologically is just that God's angels, the ones that did not fall at the fall of Lucifer, are for our you know help and and protection and ministering. So when the 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 angels are battling in the spirit world, are they angels are eternal? Is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, when you say eternal, there's the same number of angels today as there were when they were created. They don't procreate. They never die. They are not human beings. They're angelic spirits. And the book of Hebrews tells us that they're actually a higher class of being in a way than, than human beings, only in the sense that they're smarter and more intelligent because they're not subject to the physiology of the, of, of the human body. You know, that's the reason why when we're tired or sick you know, or aging, we don't think as sharp, we don't perform as well. It's all our, our physical, our immaterial and immaterial aspects of our body are all connected. Angels don't have that problem, but yeah, they're, they're, you know, they never die. There's, just, there will always be the same number of angels. Okay. And so in, um, I think if I have this right, somewhere in the book of Revelation, one of the judgments are angels are, are released out of the the abyss to sting people for like five months right are those are so those are are demonic angels that have been captured and were kind of like put in a prison so to speak and and they're just there right now absolutely so uh if you go to uh my first volume i actually have an interesting chart that i included in there that kind of charts out um the uh the angels let me call that up real quick but but there are uh, there are fallen angels that are free and roam uh, roam the earth and um, you know are hold on I can't do two things at once here sorry I'm trying to uh, navigate my uh, my computer here and call that up just I want to have the chart in front of me uh, it's also in my book I think it's in my book uh, Great Last Days Deception which was from 2012. But um, let's see here. If I go view uh, navigation, so let's see. Fallen angels. Here we go. So if you um, if you think of it in terms of originally there were you know all good angels, if you will. Uh, and then uh, one third of them fell, according to scripture. And so now the two thirds of them, you might say, are the good guys and one third are the bad guys among the angelic forces. Uh, as, as we just read in Ephesians, there's, the, there's a contingent of those fallen angels that are active and loose and wreaking havoc and, you know, be doing battle in the heavenlies. Uh, but if you think about the times that Jesus interacted with demon-possessed uh, individuals, and by the way, there's varying viewpoints on the uh, un unclean spirits in terms of the relationship between fallen angels and demons. Are they the same thing, or are demons more akin to the Nephilim and the product of the unholy alliance between fallen angels and 
human women, Genesis 6, which Jude talks about very plainly and Second Peter as well. Um, but the bottom line is they're they're all they all end up the same place. These are part of Satan's army. But anyway, Jesus, if you remember with the story of the demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes, uh, they those demons uh, wanted to not be cast into the abyss, the bottomless pit, which, as you said, comes up again in Revelation. So apparently there are some demons that are temporarily confined, and in Revelation chapter 9, they will be released at the midpoint of the tribulation to join Satan's forces for one final battle. But there are also a contingent of fallen angels that are permanently confined. Uh, we know this. Uh, they're confined in a place called Tartarus. Uh, and Second Peter 2, 4, Jude, verse 6. Uh, Jude is just one chapter, verse 6. Uh, and those are the ones who left their proper domain in Genesis 6, cohabited with women, and produced the Nephilim. And that sin was so egregious that, first of all, it brought on the flood, but it also, God then banished them permanently until the end of the age, when uh, at the end of the millennium, God casts all of the uh, fallen angels and demons into the lake of fire, which, remember, Jesus said in Matthew 25, when he was talking about the sheep and the goats judgment, you know, depart from me into the everlasting fire, quote, prepared for the devil and his angels. So so you've got some confined demons now that will be released uh, during the tribulation for the final battle at Armageddon, and then some that are permanently confined and, and won't be released till they get cast into the lake of fire. Well, that is all the questions that we have. <laughs> that's all that's all huh <laughs> i love it i never thought we'd get through all of them but here we are well i love a good theological discussion and so i i, I really enjoy uh enjoy this and and you guys asked some great questions you really did and uh and uh yeah feel free to reach out anytime with emails or follow-ups and uh if uh, if you think you might have an interest in a lot of the t stuff we talked about, I'm not trying to sell books here. We just want to get the message out. Uh, but if you have an interest, you should go to that spiritoftheantichrist.org and kind of uh, check that out and, and see if any of those topics might be good for further study on the stuff we talked about tonight. Yeah. All of that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Every thank part you, of thank it. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Well, thank you guys. And, uh, you know, stay in touch. And thanks for letting me uh, share this uh I think awesome conversation it was really, really fun and edifying uh, with, with uh, others out there. And uh, so we'll get this posted and, and, and then others can benefit from it. Thank you. So, thank you so much for your,